For member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Caitlin Kim. I'm your host for this week's episode, and I'm here with my colleagues, Benta Berkland and Andrew Kenny. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. We're talking weekly through Election Day about what's happening with the campaigns and what we're hearing from voters and what it all means for Colorado. So there has been a lot of political news since the last time we all talked, the biggest thing being the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the political fight over her replacement on the Supreme Court. I promise we will get to that. But first, I wanted us to talk about something the three of us have been watching with a lot of interest, and that's how campaigns are trying to reach voters, especially undecided voters. Key to that is the ground game, and that's the nitty gritty of how campaigns reach voters, whether it's knocking on doors, making phone calls, campaign events in person or virtually. And like so many things this year, the coronavirus has really upended the political ground game in Colorado. I I would say in some areas it's been radically different and then maybe some other areas, not so much. Yeah, I decided that, um, you know, after seeing over the summer that there were all these different approaches, some campaigns are on the ground, some campaigns are literally in their basement. I wanted to go out and see what it's like to go door to door. So I got linked up with the one of the campaign groups supporting the paid family leave initiative, uh, United for a New Economy. And they allowed me to tail a canvasser named uh, Quinn Mills. probably one of the easier jobs to have during COVID because it is outdoors. And, And, you know, to be honest, it wasn't that different. I I thought it might be a little more awkward, but Quinn was wearing uh, the disposable mask and the kind of blue food handling gloves. A few people who are like, we are very menial compromised in this house. I cannot enter the door right but now. But otherwise, like, you know, what they said was that it was essentially one of the best jobs you can have in the pandemic, especially if your other options, Quince 24, are, say, retail or, you know, working in a food service. Because as Quinn pointed out, you can keep your distance. So I watched as Quinn kind of gave the, uh, the classic friendly knock at this one door and stood back and, and waited and... Uh, Sure enough, (laughs) you know, people showed up at their doors and Quinn from a distance was able to safely kind of convey their message. Some people went back inside to get a mask, but it didn't seem like it was really interfering. Right. And we are seeing the parties, Democratic Party and the Republican Party, take different tacks, like Benta had mentioned, with the ground game. Um, As as she talked about, Democrats really have been sort of staying home and, and focusing a lot on the virtual with some small localized events, Republicans are are going out and about. And I think, Benta, you saw some of that firsthand as well, right? Yeah, exactly. I was in Pueblo not long ago, which is an interesting area in the state politically. It's a Democratic area that voted for President Trump very narrowly in 2016. Mm. So you have both political parties trying to make gains there or reverse how, how things turned out last cycle. Democrats specifically are trying to turn out people who don't typically vote. And so they are writing handwritten cards. So they'll give a volunteer these little postcards and the person will write it out by hand. Each person gets 50 postcards. And then whenever they have that done, they return it back to party headquarters and it gets mailed out. And they just feel like people don't get a handwritten card, and so that that will will make a difference to some degree. So those cards are being mailed to other voters? Yes. I I forget the exact term you guys probably know. It's 
the low frequency voter or someone who who's not guaranteed to to turn out every presidential election. Yes. So the the Team Trump bus tour was going through Pueblo. It was the the theme was promises made, promises kept, and several hundred people showed up at the Republican Party headquarters. They were had signs up and they're waving them in the street as this big red bus pulls through and some top campaign advisors on the bus came out and just held a rally and one of the headliners was John Pence and he's actually Vice President Mike Pence's nephew. And I think we can now remind the American people that the Republican way is the American way. Why is that? What do we believe? Did that feel like another kind of turnout operation? Like the main goal of that was to get people excited to go to the polls? Yes, it was definitely a turnout operation. Exactly. And to get, you know, these were people who showed up at the Republican Party headquarters in Pueblo, held up signs, were excited to see this bus drive into town. So it was really energizing those people you need to encourage their friends and family because that's the most effective way to get people to turn out. Um, I talked to a woman in Pueblo who was going to vote against Trump because her sister, she says, hates the president. She's never voted before. This woman said she was going to do it for her sister. So I think both political parties realize the most persuasive way to get someone to vote who, who doesn't normally is someone close to them really encouraging them. That's so interesting that you mentioned the turnout angle, because that's exactly what the canvasser I was following, Quinn, was trying to do. They were targeting low propensity voters who would be directly benefited by this uh, paid leave policy. And they were giving them voter pledge cards to fill out to say, I pledge I'm going to vote. So obviously they were also banking on the idea that that close contact in some way is going to get people turned out. Yeah. And I actually spoke with this woman in Durango who had never voted before. Her son actually had uh, was on the list for a lung transplant. So she realized how important it was for people to wear masks and how difficult it was to go out. And she didn't think the president was taking it seriously. And that's why for the first time she decided to register to vote and she was planning to vote against the president. Definitely will. Why this year? Just the president, just a lot of the issues that are going on right now. Just looking at the whole coronavirus issues that have been going on and haven't been addressed. How has that impacted your life? Oh yeah, I have a son who needs a lung transplant. So it makes it very difficult for us to be out because we don't know. Lynn, did she, did her son have coronavirus and that's why he needed a lung transplant or he just needed the transplant? No, no okay. he just needed the transplant. He, he was ill, but it was, he's been on the list and for her family, it was such a serious issue, right? So that's why she was going to vote for the first time in her life. It was affecting her and her family personally and that's what's sort of finally motivating her to vote. Yes. And talking about sort of campaign, it's not just getting out the vote. It's also, especially for further down the ballot, I think, these operations are just helping people, helping voters learn more about candidates mm. um, that they might not have been paying attention to in the summer or in the primaries in the spring. And I think where you can really see a stark example of the different campaigning style, the different turnout the vote style is in um, the congressional district that Bent had mentioned. Pueblo is also CD3, which is uh, Democrat Diane Bush versus Republican uh, Lauren Boebert. And mm. You can see these two candidates taking totally different approaches. Diane Mitch Bush is staying mainly at home, uh, virtual campaigning. She says it's the responsible thing to do, you know, given the coronavirus. She doesn't want to get people sick. Mm-hmm. But Lauren Boebert is hopping from city to city in the district, from town to town, you know, sort of getting out her stump speech, 
get like letting people know who she is at these yeah. little rallies. And I think that's important for her too, because she is also a, a relative unknown, both kind of weren't getting a lot of name recognition in the district when I was going through there. So I think that's, that's part of what they're doing. Um, and I, I will also add, I'm sure you guys will talk about this as well, but you know, there, the, parties are also sort of having these umbrellas, right? So Lauren Boebert is working through Trump victory and the state party for the get out the vote, Diane Mitch mm. Bush with Biden and the state Democratic Party. And you're hearing these different numbers about what it means to actually get out and contact people. Like Republicans have said they have had 4 million contacts with people throughout mm-hmm. the states. Democrats wow. are saying 3 million meaningful contacts. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's really is sort of a, a numbers game in the end, right? Get out the vote will help your candidate, especially if it's a, a tight race. And I yeah. did speak to one political science professor, Seth Maskett, about this, and he says it really can make a difference, but it has to be in close races. Like it can make a percentage, maybe a percent or two. So we'll, what we'll really see is the effect after November, how much the in-person contact um, did help push one candidate or maybe not. Well, Lynn, I actually think with the, that third congressional district that you were mentioning, showing up may have a, a bigger impact because that district is so huge. It takes up geographically such a large part of the state from you know, Grand Junction and the San Luis Valley, Telluride. And a lot yeah. of these places are you know the southwest part of Colorado and they're isolated geographically already. Yes. And so when you have someone come into that town, it, you know, you feel more included compared to some of the metro mm. areas along the front range. And I'm not saying people don't care if a candidate shows up there, but I think people are not as isolated geographically in the urban areas. Yeah, you no, can make I, a splash in the local paper when Bobert shows up, for example. Exactly. And that's what other people were saying, that it does help to have that face-to-face contact, especially when the candidate is not as well known as, say, Biden or Trump or even like a Hickenlooper or a Gardner. But now I also wanted to share, uh, I have some evidence to the kind of opposite effect. I uh, covered a little bit of this House state representative race uh, down in southern Arapahoe County, where the Democratic candidate, David Ortiz, is not campaigning in person. I'm a part of that vulnerable community. I was a combat aviator in the Army, survived the catastrophic crash, which left me paralyzed from the waist down. Um, and because of that, I'm in the vulnerable unit. So it's definitely changed the way that we have been campaigning. I mean, most of our- And what he's done instead, as he explained, was shift to this very virtual approach. He's got this massive kind of phone and text operation. And when I went out in the district, I met a voter named Greg Mares, kind of classic swing voter, and he had gotten, he said, 30 calls from Ortiz's campaign. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. And what he said, it was, yeah, impressive. I would actually start to be annoyed at that point. <laughs> I mean, I know his name only because he continually calls me and I get flyers. And uh, I, again, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his politics, but I know his name. You know, in this case, maybe Ortiz's embrace of this broadcast technology could actually kind of help him if he's spending all his resources on that instead of going door to door one at a time as his opponent is doing. But we will see. Yeah. And I I think there is also another question about whether the ground game is going to be more important this year, just given all these other competing issues to get voters' attention. We can't end without getting to the thing that will be potentially dominating the final weeks of this election season, yes. the issue of the Supreme Court. Venta, I know that you were out and about. What are you hearing about that? 
After the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we've heard a lot of the political pundits and and, and the media talk about what does this mean for kind of like you said, turnout for getting people energized. Will it shift? Will it help Republicans or Democrats? And so I, we decided, hey, I'll just go out and talk to folks. And I didn't preface it by saying, what do you think of the justice's death? I just started out, what's on your mind? I will say I didn't talk to anyone who brought that up as an issue on their mind. Um, and then when I would mention it, you know, into the interview, a lot of people um, still didn't say it was a pressing issue. So, you know, Lynn, you had mentioned this, but people were focused on the economy, their jobs, you know, what was going on in their personal lives. No one seemed excited to vote. Uh, No one had told me they had decided on the Senate race yet. Um, I hadn't talked to anyone who was really paying attention to our U.S. Senate race, but people said they would, they expected to vote. And for the presidential level, Um, I talked to a lot of people who weren't happy with Trump, but also weren't sold on Biden. And here's one interesting voter. His name's Mark Kaplan. He's a Democrat and he's from Highlands Ranch. So that's in Douglas County, which is a a conservative county. He owns a home restoration company. I lost probably 70 percent of a gross. That's a lot of money. I employed 25 people before this pandemic hit. And I'm literally down to three people. Is it accurate to say you normally do vote? Will this be I one do. of? Is this the first time you want to vote? This is the first time I'm kind of like. I mean, I don't think my vote's going to matter anyway. Supreme Court is not top of mind at all for him. I will say this: I think the Supreme Court, though, is on the top of mind for us and probably some other people in the state who are running for office. At least nationally, it is expected to energize both parties and their core voters. But I think it really puts a spotlight on which party has control of the Senate. And Democrats' hopes of gaining control of the Senate runs through Colorado and flipping Republican Senator Cory Gardner's seat. Yeah, with Gardner, it's interesting because um, he obviously won by a fairly narrow margin in 2014 and did that by convincing voters to split their tickets to vote for uh, Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper at the time and to vote for him. So I'll be very curious to see how his stance on uh, confirming a new conservative justice plays with those middle of the road voters. Right. And and he's going to have to sort of really try and explain the, his difference between 2016 when he said the, that the American people deserve a role in the process because the stakes are high and that the next Supreme Court justice will influence the direction of the country for years to come. You know, this was nine months before the election in 2016. Now he is saying he will support a qualified nominee so long as it meets, you know, his qualifications, you know, supports the, the Constitution, doesn't legislate from the bench, will uphold the law. And, you know, he, he's not alone in this. A lot of Republicans have sort of flipped. And I, I will also add that the Democrats from 2016 who said vote, vote are now saying, no, no, it's too too soon to an election and that they should not vote. They should let the next president decide. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of this verbal flip flopping from both sides of the aisle. I guess one thing I'm wondering is how much this, which, you know, it will be a very intense political fight and energize maybe some of the core voters. How much will that matter to the people like you know the voter I was talking to, um, I don't know. I've been surprised, you know, speaking of the US Senate, how few voters I've talked to are engaged yet in that race. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised when I was out in the third district that a lot of people they, a lot of people knew the top of the ticket and how they were gonna vote. And when you really kind of drill down, 
they were like, yeah, I haven't really looked too closely at that race. I will as it gets closer. You know, they wanted to wait on debates, not just for um, the, the Senate race, but also for the congressional race. But then I think there are also others who are just like there was one gentleman I spoke to who was like, it, it doesn't matter. Like either if you're for Trump, you're going to just vote for everyone on the Republican side. If you're anti-Trump, you're just going to vote for everyone on the Democratic side. And I think to, to Cory Garter's detriment, I think the yes. nationalization of this race is what's going to be the the strong headwinds against Gardner. But a counter to that, and I, I you know, I, I talked to a lot of voters in the last few days who really don't like the president. They said the lies, the insanity. I mean, they listed all these things and they weren't decided on Biden. Um, maybe they would be convinced, but he hadn't made the case to them. I don't know how that will trickle down to U.S. Senate, but not liking Trump for them wasn't going to be enough to just vote for Biden. Well, Gardner is clearly in his messaging just hoping to survive the anti-Trump wave here in Colorado. He continuously now has this tagline, we may not agree, but I'm basically a trustworthy guy, and he's implying that Hickenlooper is not. So he's again trying to kind of split the odds, split the tickets, and pull this off. It'll be interesting to see if he can. I mean, you know, he's he's a talented politician, so I think this is going to be a fun race <laughs> to kind of watch. And keep in mind, though, that a, the lot of voters, you know, Hickenlooper, eight years as governor, people have fairly strong feelings of what they think about him, and um, you know, he was a, a popular governor. But sort of getting back to the Supreme Court for a second, I, I will say I think both sides are hoping to energize their base. So I spoke with this politics professor um, at the University of Denver, Joshua Wilson, and he was telling me Democrats hadn't really been paying attention to the courts uh, for years. This really has been a wake up call for them. And so it might make it the, the Supreme Court and Supreme Court appointments a more significant interest for progressive voters going into the future. Well, to me, it's again the middle, you know, left is energized, right is energized. Do your swing voters see what Republicans have done as a violation of the norms, a power grab, or do they see it as business as usual? Because if it's a violation of the norms, that could just feed into this narrative of wanting to have a return to normalcy. Yes. But you know what? We're going to have to wait on that. Which I will use as our transition to everybody's favorite part of the show, which is, wait, wait what? 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 So over the weekend, um, I was watching Twitter very closely as politicians were talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how they might vote or not vote. And then I came across this tweet from Chuck Grassley, senator from Iowa. If you lost your pet pigeon, it's dead in front yard, my Iowa farm. Just discovered. Here are identifiers. And then he identifies the, <laughs> the pigeon. Sorry for bad news. <laughs> and, and in true Grassley style, I'm sure that was missing like 40 to 60 characters that he had removed and like it some was, typos. And he spelled pigeon wrong. He did pigeon, yes. like, pigeon English. Like oh, you're gosh. just like, oh. And I, I will say for a second. I was going to say, I don't even oh understand God. this tweet right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, for a second, like, like you're not understanding it. I thought, oh my God, did someone hack his account? But no, this is the identifiers are for a racing pigeon. And apparently the pigeon was from uh, a racing club in Wisconsin. So to that Wisconsin racing club, I am very sorry. But what made it kind of interesting or a wait what was he had hit a deer a couple of years back, but Hmm. like, you know, and it sort of harkened back to that. And like, he 
he didn't know if the deer was dead. He just assumed so because he didn't see the carcass. But then he tweets about the pigeon that like, but in case of this pigeon, I could actually pick up the bird. No life whatsoever. Oh, gosh. Grassley's always like that. I will say it was a much needed respite this weekend. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Sorry. Okay, so that's it for Purplish this week. Thank you for listening. And you can learn about becoming a CPR member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Caitlin Kim with my colleagues, Andrew Benta. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Andrew Kenny and Benta Brooklyn. If you're a Colorado voter, we want to hear from you. Fill out a short survey at our website and tell us what matters to you this election. Go to CPR.org slash Colorado 2020. If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Caitlin Kim. We'll be back in your feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. Thank you.